Hey everybody, this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast brings in special guest Brandon Payne, the longtime skills trainer for Stephen Curry and founder of Accelerate Basketball. We'll talk about Curry's injury, the chaotic life of an NBA superstar, and whether he, Brandon, thinks Curry will be back this season. We also break down two young stars that Payne has worked with and studied, Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Those guys have been awesome this year. So for an inside look at Stephen Curry and the life of an NBA skills trainer who will make you watch the game differently and more intelligently, let's bring on Brandon Payne. Glad to have you on. It's been an up and down season for the league, for the NBA, for the Warriors. Biggest story in the NBA is we're not going to get into load management and bore the people to uh, yeah. tears at the front of the pod, but... The biggest story so far this year is a huge bummer. It is uh, Stephen. Stephen Curry goes down with a hand injury, and it wasn't a great start for the Warriors in general, not a great start for Stephen. But, man, that must have been tough for you as his, his, his trainer and friend for the last decade to watch. Yeah, it was really hard. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, being around him for so long, I kind of know what, what his responses and reactions are to, to pain. And, you know, as soon as I saw Aaron Baines land on him, I saw his reaction. I knew um, it was probably something that wasn't going to be good. Um, I was actually a little bit concerned because the, the play on the other end defensively, he actually rolled his ankle uh, on that possession before he came down and drove to the basket. So I was actually kind of concerned about, about his ankle, and I hadn't even gotten over being concerned about his ankle when he when he went down and, and had his hand landed on. So you know, we'll figure out a way to work through it. And, and we, we always have in the past. It's just uh, a little bit of a different type of injury for us. We've never really had a bone issue to worry about. What is the whole instant reaction for you and for Stefan? Is it um, obviously his well-being? But when you saw it happen, did you know how severe it was? Yeah, like I said, I think I, I kind of had a pretty good idea that it wasn't going to be great <laughs> because he had this immediate pain reaction. And, you know, we've never we've never had to deal with, um, you know, really anything. We've, we've had elbows in the past where he's had like a, a burst bursa sack from landing on it. And, you know, but, and we've had a shoulder in the past that got a little bit inflamed, but it was never really, you know, truly injured. So this is the first kind of upper body, um, situation we're dealing with. So it, it's, it's one of those things where you're kind of getting into the, the world of the unknown here. And, you know, we not that you want to be comfortable with ankles and knee injuries, but, you know, we've kind of gotten comfortable over the past few years with understanding that, hey, what the rehab process is going to feel like, kind of what the timeline is going to be uh, with this one. It, it's kind of it's kind of outside of our our scope, uh, so to speak, for right now. So there's there's a, a lot of learning that we have to do about it. And we've got to got to figure out all the different things from a a movement standpoint that we have to kind of kind of work on to get them all the way back to health. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be a different challenge. Was this a bummer, not just uh, from an injury standpoint, but also what this season, um, it was going to be a different season for Steph. And uh, I don't know sure. whether he was excited for it or whether it was like, man, I've been through, you know, how many, like five finals trips in a row and I got to carry this offense. Like, man, I don't know if I can do this. Is, what was his mentality going into the season like? Well, you know, his mentality was, of course, anytime you've had, you know, a five-year run like they've had and, and you know, all the, you know, the roster almost completely gets turned over, you know, there's there's some sadness there because of the relationships that you've built and the relationships you've had and, and all the success you had with a specific group of guys. And, and now, 
all but just a couple of those guys are gone. So there, there's kind of a sadness that you're, you're going to be, you know, missing your friends and missing the relationships that you had. Um, but there was kind of an excitement for Stefan. You know, there was an excitement of, of, you know, stepping into a true, you know, full on mentorship and leadership role. And it had started, um, late in the summer, you know, when we were first getting in the chase center and, and all the young guys were there early. And I can say that all the young guys were there early working hard, trying to learn all the things they needed to learn to, to put themselves in a, in a position to be successful this year. And Stefan was really, you know, excited about stepping into that teacher role and really excited about the challenge in front of him. And again, you know, th- th- of course there's disappointment, you know, that everything, um, was, you know, changing, but, you know, the excitement of the new challenge was, was something he was really looking forward to. I said he was going to win the scoring title this year. Was that a little too aggressive? Maybe because, you know, a lot of the things that, that he'd done in the past that, that had, you know, that led to a lot of the scoring success was their ball movement and their spacing. And um, just not that the system changed, but when you plug in new parts to that and new people, there's a big learning curve, especially when you've got somebody that's as active as Stefan is in terms of finding open space. And, you know, when there's, when there's opening is a lot of times it's just a sliver. It's not like it's a great big opening. So, you know, the ball has to be their own time on target for that shot to, to get off. And, you know, early uh, in the season in, it was just a lot of, you know, one dribble too many before the pass or, you know, players not realizing that unscripted you needed to to pin down, you know, when Stefan had an opportunity. And, you know, some of that chemistry that was there in the past uh, wasn't there. And so it was just going to be a little bit of a, a longer uh, evolution as a group. And it was going to affect his numbers a little bit, you know, and uh, he, he wanted to stay within a team concept. He wanted to make sure he was getting guys involved. He wanted to make sure he was teaching guys how to play within that system. And it just, you know, they just didn't have enough opportunity and enough time to do that uh, before the injury. It's Peter King, host of the aptly named Peter King podcast, dropping every Wednesday. I chat with big football people. Now, I've added a second mini pod dropping Monday mornings, capsulizing my football morning in America column. Listen. Why couldn't they just say, hey, Steph, you're going to be like Dame. You're going to be like Kyrie, Kemba, pick and roll, high pick and roll a hundred times a game. I think he could play that role. It's just not in his makeup to be that guy uh, for 48 minutes. You know, he is he is a guy that's gotten really comfortable with ball movement. He doesn't want to stand out there and dribble the basketball into the ground and dribble the air out of it. That's not his thing. You know, he's really, you know, we've kind of gotten to the point to where it's one, maybe two moves. If the shot's not there, if the, or if the drive or the look is not there, you move the ball and you create space with your movement, with purposeful movement. And that's really his comfort zone. And, you know, to ask him to dribble the ball and, you know, run off to, you know, uh, go from a DHO into a ball screen and, and do all these different things, you're, you're really putting a lot of, number one, a lot of additional load on him. But number two, you're putting him outside of his comfort zone. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, it, it was going to have to be a balance of him being this ball dominant player in addition to ball movement that they were going to have to work really hard to achieve. And it was just going to take a lot of time and, and they didn't get the opportunity to get there. What was the summer like for Steph? Cause uh, 
He wasn't on Team USA. He opted not to do that. And coming into this season, he knew that he was going to have a different role um, with D'Angelo Russell sharing the ball with him, uh, without KD, without Clay. What was the mentality or at least the, the workload like for him this summer? You know, the, the workload and the mentality were, were very similar to other summers. And, and our mentality has, has never changed throughout the, the nine or ten off seasons that we've had. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a very simple philosophy. We had to walk out of the gym a little bit better than we walked in the gym every single day. And I feel like we achieved that this summer. You know, it was dealing, you know, when you have NBA superstars, you can have some interesting summer scheduling and, and figuring out cadence and rhythm. And also <laughs> when you mix in that you have to have, you know, really solid recovery procedures in place and, and getting guys to try some different things from recovery. And so there's a lot that goes into that, but you know, he, he attacked the off season. We got stronger. He got faster. He got better. He, he checked off all those boxes. Uh, he was in great shape coming into the season. I felt really good from a conditioning standpoint about where he was. And, um, and we were able to do that while working around the schedule and, you know, so that was something that was also interesting as we, we started making our way into Chase Center towards the end of the offseason was to watch the younger players, you know, sit down and watch him go through his workouts and watch the speed that he works at and watch the intensity and how competitive he is within his workouts. And so it was it was interesting. We achieved all the goals that we set out for the offseason. And and we even started getting into, you know, being a, a team leader and and, and being more of a teacher as we as we got towards the tail end. So it was, you know, we, we felt great about where we were heading into the season. So who was the teacher on the teams if Steph wasn't it for the last few years? Do you think, like, who was that role for the Warriors? Well, I think, I think the, the, the real teacher for the, the, the Warriors for the last five years was the combined experience of the group. You didn't need a you teacher, know, I mean, so it was yeah. You, yeah, you didn't really need a teacher. You had... You know, guys like Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston that had, had been through so many different situations and scenarios throughout their career. They brought so much experience and, and they brought a calmness um, with them uh, that, you know, you're not going to get out of guys that are under the age of 23. And, you know, of course, you had a guy like KD who's just unbelievably gifted and talented and can, you know, be unstoppable at times. And, you know, again, you're not going to get that out of many guys that, that are under the age of 23. So it was it was uh, a situation where the past five years from, yeah, I think everybody around the organization, they just had this amazing combined experience that kind of came together. And when you mix that experience with the talent and the culture that Coach Kerr has been able to build out there, you just had an uh, unstoppable force. And, you know, it all changed really, really fast. It all changed fast, and 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 you know there was going to be um, a lot of learning on every every aspect, including you know how to get to the new building and how to, how to get into the parking lot. You know all those things when you move from one place to another, those, that adds to it as well. So it was a really really um, interesting but productive off season all the way around. So are you flying around with Stefan when he's going to different commitments or different? Uh, family engagements, whatever it is, um, to keep, sure. so you're, you're in the plane with him, like trying to stay with him as he trains in the off season. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, there are occasionally that he needs some family time. So there's uh, occasionally some vacations and some, some things that him and I should just want to do for themselves. And for those, those short trips, I typically just send workouts with him that he, he does really well with on his own. Uh, but when we have, uh, some big, long, 
Under Armour tours or when there's things where he's going to be gone for more than a few days, you know, I'll go with them to make sure we get our work in because you just, you know, you can't make up for those lost days. So you got to get that work in and it's, it's, it's some some extra travel from time to time. This is why I'm a little weary of uh, Giannis this season. He's been amazing. Giannis Antetokounmpo has been incredible. I think he's putting up like, you know, MVP type numbers, just like he did last year. But the guy had a crazy offseason. He yeah. was going flying literally around the world between accepting the MVP speech in L.A., then going to Vegas, then going to Milwaukee to do an MVP celebration there, then going to Athens, back and forth from Greece to America, then then starting his China tour to push out his his Nike shoe. And from the season that he had to the uh, the whirlwind tour that he had, I just felt like coming into this season that is he going to be able to last for 100 games this season with that kind of, you know, toll um, that he just didn't get much recovery in the offseason. Maybe maybe he was just in every minute that he had, he was getting, you know, fitting in as much recovery as he could. But, you know, I, I read these accounts about Michael Jordan and players in the 80s and 90s where they would just, take the summer off and just go play golf all summer. They didn't have these sort of sure. um, shoe tour commitments as, as much ramped up as it is today. And then you throw in the team USA aspect or the team Greece aspect where he was traveling from Greece doing tournaments there, then going to Asia and flying all over China, which by the way, big, big country, big country. So yeah. if you're going from <laughs> Beijing to Shanghai or to wherever it is, Shenshu, it's like, you're not, it's not going from Delaware to New York City, right? Like these are these are huge flights. So can you put me in the shoes of Steph Curry going through a big shoe tour or a big like summer? I don't think absolutely. people quite realize it. Yeah, absolutely. So not this offseason, but last offseason uh, prior to the, the, the start of the season, right around, I want to say the end of August, right into early September, we had kind of a whirlwind two weeks where we were all over the place. We were in the Bay training, getting ready. And then, you know, his sister's wedding uh, to Damien with Damien Lee was actually here at home in Charlotte. So we flew from the Bay to Charlotte for the wedding. We were here for a couple of days. It was a good, great time. And, but as soon as the wedding was over, we had to hop back on a plane and go right back to the Bay. We were there for one day and we got a workout in there. The very next day, we had to hop on a plane and go to the Philippines, where we got off flight? the plane. It is not sure. We actually had to fly to Tokyo first, and I think that I cannot remember the amount. of It, it was a long time, Tom. <laughs> I think it was about 13 hours to Tokyo and then another uh, four or five hours to the Philippines got there and luckily uh, got there in the evening. So we were able to get off the plane and go to sleep. But at at 6 a.m. the next morning, we were up in the gym working out uh, after uh, literally an entire day on the plane. And from to give you an idea of what those days look like, you know, we had to squeeze in our workout early in the morning. And then for the remainder of the day, while we were in Manila, we were going from commitment to commitment in terms of things that Under Armour had set up and different promotional deals. And, you know, there's lunches and dinners. I mean, it's, it's an entire day. And then, you know, you go from, uh, we went from the Philippines and then the next day we were in China and, you know, we were in China for two days and we're squeezing in two workouts and you're dealing with 
not only your commitments and your promotional stops and things like that, but you're dealing with mobs of fans everywhere in the hotel. <laughs> and, you know, you can't really walk around. You can't really do anything. And then, you know, you can't unwind or, or unplug at all. Not at all. There, there is no time when you're on these tours because you, you, you know, from my standpoint, I'm concerned about making sure we get the work in and his team's concern is to make sure that we're getting to all the commitments on time. And, you know, so it, it's, it's a high stress type situation. And, you know, you go from China, we were there for two days then we hop on a plane and we go to Tokyo. We're in Tokyo. We get a couple workouts. And again, we have days just packed with activities. Um, we get those workouts in and then we leave late in the afternoon, early evening from Tokyo and we fly overnight to Paris. And as soon as we get off the plane in Paris, we go straight to the weight room. And from the weight room, we were in there for about an hour. We hopped in uh, a car service and we ended up at an arena somewhere in Paris. I can't even remember where it's all such a blur. And then we were on the court for an hour and a half. Uh, and then the remainder of that day was followed up with, you know, promotional stops and again, lunches and dinners. And, you know, then at the end of two days of that, we're on a train to London and we do it all over again for two days in London. And then we hop on a plane, fly back to the Bay. And Steph actually went back, went to New York to spend a day or two with Aisha. And then the day he got back from uh, New York, we were right back on the court that night. It's quite stressful and it, it can be hectic. And, and finding time to get that work in is so vital to making sure you're continuing to to move forward as a player, but also making sure you're getting the recovery. And that's where the real challenge is because recovery is not just physical, right? Recovery is also mental. And when you don't have uh, a mental break on these tours, it can be very, very exhausting uh, and tough to recover from for the player. Is Steph like a coffee guy or is he like a five hour energy guy? Like how does he have <laughs> the energy to do this? You know, it's so funny. Uh, I've, th- this off season, I noticed pretty much every day he walked in with a little cup of coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was new. And, you know, it's so funny. He always talked about uh, how his dad, towards the, the tail end of his career, started drinking coffee. And he used to tell me stories about how Dell said, one day you're going to do this too. <laughs> and and I, I think that day is on us now. <laughs> yeah, the third kid, will that do it? That'll do it too. And so, you know, you have to, that's another thing when you're, you're talking about off seasons, you're, it's not just the, the commitments and the workouts and the things that, that he has to do, but you know, he's also a dad and, you know, he has three children that he loves very much and he wants to spend as, as much time as he can with them. And, and so you have to fit that in as well. And, and when we're planning out his workouts, you know, that's something we have to take into account is there are days where Stefan needs to be a dad and he needs to be home. And we have to make sure that he gets that time in as well. And because that's, that's so important to his mental well-being and his emotional well-being. And all those are factors in, the, in how players get better. And, and we have to make sure that time is built in for him. Can you tell when Steph is off, like when he's walking into the gym that day, like something's on his mind and you got to set him down and just say, hey, man, uh, what's going on? Yeah, we don't have many of those days. We really, it's very rare. But yes, you can tell when, he's, when his demeanor is a little bit off. Um, but, uh, like I said, it, it is very rare, very few and far between that, that, I, that, that, that occurs. He's, he's always ready to work. He's always ready to come in and get better and, and, and answer the challenges that we put in front of him each day. Yeah. Cause it's, it seems like one of those, I bet you could just read him like a book after how long, when, when did you start working with Steph? It was like 2009. The summer before the 2011 season. Yeah. It's been a while. 
so yeah, you know, you, you learn how to, you know, I mean, as with any friendship, you can read body language, you can, you know, you can kind of tell, you know, what mood they're in and, and things like that. So he's such a pro about everything. He's able to, to, to leave everything outside for the most part, most of the time. But, you know, there is the occasional day where we kind of got to do some different things to get going and, and uh, but the, it's very rare. Yeah, because I think one of the things that uh, is rem- he's 31 years old, and I always say that like his shooting ability, he's going to age really well because if you can shoot with that kind of repeatability and with that off the dribble or off the catch, it's going to age really well. Um, and he does take such good care of his body. And although the ankle issues are always there, even before he breaks his hand, um, it's on your mind. Yeah. But. I wonder, is this three months, do you see it as a blessing in disguise? For the team, I think it might be, but do you think it's a blessing in disguise that he's going to get some time off here, or how do you view that um, time off? Well, it, yeah, well, we never, you know, we never want to have an issue where we're having surgery. So, you know, we don't like that. But, but if there is a silver lining, you know, it is that he does get some time off physically because it, it is a situation where he cannot do anything for a while. So he gets that, you know, and the team gets an opportunity to really learn how to play. And, you know, there's guys that are in positions to play significant minutes in, in games that would not have been in that position otherwise, you know, and so – uh, while I'm sure for Warriors fans, it's not a lot of fun to watch them go through these growing pains. Um, I think if you have a long-term view of this for both Stefan and the team, there's a, there's a lot of good that can come of it. Obviously, you know, like I said, we never want to have him, you know, cut on like this or be down this way, but you know, you've got to try to find the positives in every situation, especially in the NBA where you're going through an 82 game grind every year. You got to look for positives where you can find them and, and if you can assign a positive to this, and I think everybody's a lot better off. What is the concern for you as a as a coach or a trainer shooting wise with this type of injury? What's something you have to look at? Yeah, it's just a, yeah, you know, like I said, it's it's new to us, so learning how to get because it's not just the wrist we're and the hand we're talking about here. You know, you're you're talking about the pain probably affecting how that entire arm and that that side of his body moves. So we really got to be aware of shoulder mobility and the strength of the elbow. And there's, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, and there's a lot for us to learn and a lot for us to game plan for so that, that we know uh, when, when it's time to start picking the basketball back up, when it's time to start getting ready to play again, that we're going about it in the most effective, uh, efficient way we can. We don't want to really have any, any missteps at this point. Uh, we want to make sure that we, we are on target the entire time we're going through a rehab like this. There's going to be a lot of time spent learning uh, about the wrist, about the hand, uh, about what we can and can't do, and what a a reasonable timeline for recovery is. And then for Stefan, there's going to be a lot of learning as a player when you're rehabbing. You have to learn, you know, what certain things are supposed to feel like through the rehab process. With knees and ankles, we're really, really comfortable with that. You know, we know what certain types of uh, discomfort means, and we know what certain types of fatigue mean with this, we've got to go through another learning process. So we're going to have to be professionals about it. You know, we're going to have to go about it the same way we go about everything else and how we learn and how we execute. And we're really got to attack it and we're going to have to get him back uh, to health quickly so that he's able to, to contribute at some point, maybe this year, and then also get him ready for the Olympics and for next season. How good is Luka Doncic? 
really good. <laughs> Unbe- un- unbelievably good. His skill level is um, is right up there with Stefan. Uh, it's it is it is off the charts, and his IQ is right there with it. And you, when you combine at that size, when you combine the skill level, the IQ, and the amazing confidence that he has with his ability to control defenders and make players play at his speed, you, you get what you're seeing here, which is a guy that night in and night out is pretty unstoppable. He is a lot of fun to watch. You've had workouts with him and Stefan, and you talked about a little before that Stefan got to show you know, the, the rookies or the young players on the Warriors what it is to work out at a, you know elite level uh, and what it takes to train and be an MVP um, in this league. Luca got a chance mm-hmm. to see that last year in workouts or last summer in workouts uh, when his camp wanted to put you guys together with Stefan. So mm-hmm. what is the growth from year one to year two for Luca? What are you seeing that says this guy is not just special? We knew he was special coming in the league, but he's got, you know, all time uh, talent. Well, when you look at him, number one, he changed his body over the summer, over yeah. the off season. He did, um, he did the things necessary um, to allow himself to be better. You know, it, it, it's hard for skill to translate. It's hard for skill improvement to translate onto the floor without superior conditioning and superior movement mechanics. Uh, and he changed his body. So his movement is a little more fluid. It's a little smoother. Um, he's probably picked up a, a half a step in quickness. He's never going to be the quickest guy out there. And I think that's the beauty of him. You know, I think that, you know, at such a young age, his basketball IQ and his skill level has allowed him to learn how to get guys to play at his speed. And when he gets you to slow down and play at the speed that he wants you to, he controls you. And he is able to, you know, you, you can almost see, I mean, it's almost like matrix like, you know, you can almost see, the 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 cloud above his head, the thought process is going through. You can see where he's trying to get to, and you know he's going to get there because he's putting defenders in a position that will allow him to get to a certain spot. And when he gets to that spot, he's either going to take a shot or he's going to pass because he's creating so many openings for other players. You know, we've always talked in the past about the gravity that Stefan has with his movement without the ball. You know, Luca has that same type of gravity. He pulls defenders towards him. He does it with the ball. And when you've got somebody like Przingis and you, and you've got guys like, like Steph Curry around, you know, it, 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 it really, you know, he's got weapons around him that make him just almost impossible to guard. He's, he's incredible. It seems like he's a marionette, like a puppet, a puppeteer just playing his defender like a puppet. And I remember you telling me a while back about Stefan, how he watches for the the defender, the on-ball defender, his nose or his, his chest or whatever. It, can you go through, like, yep, when, yep. You t- when you talk to Stefan yeah. or, or Luca, they're sizing up their defender. It's not like they're doing these behind-the-back dribbles for no reason. It's not like a wasted movement. They're actually sizing up their defender and seeing if they can catch him off guard, right? Absolutely. I mean, what, what we're looking for is we're looking for where the space is. And there are certain things that tell you where the space is based off of defenders' reactions with their feet, with their hands, and with the placement of their nose. So, you know, once their nose gets outside of their, the middle of their body or gets to one side or the other, 
you know the space is going to be opposite of where that is because they're leaning in that direction. Uh, for Stefan, because he has such a quick release, we're also reading where their hands, once their hands get down below their waist, which happens a little more than, than people think it does, you know there's, there's the potential for a shot. And then also we're reading, you know, high side foot. We're looking for one side or the other. Are you trying to really force me one way or the other? Because the high side foot gives us the, the, the driving edge. We know if we can flip your hips and turn your hips, that there's either going to be a drive or a step back in that direction. Or if they're so turned, if their high foot is so pronounced that we have a straight line drive opportunity, you have that read as well. So if you can read those things about your defender and you can also see what's going on behind your defender, then you're going to be able to make really good decisions and you're going to be able to get the shots that you want as opposed to taking the shots that the defense wants you to take. And so why is speed for Luka such a big thing? Because he always seems so slow. And like Kawhi, he's in control all the time. Like he just seems like he knows exactly what he's going to do, but he's not blazing around the court with speed. It's the IQ of figuring out, hey, if I'm not as fast as this guy, obviously I'm I'm at a disadvantage. So how can I turn my disadvantage into an advantage? And how you do that is you slow the guy that's guarding you down. If you can slow him down and, and you can have him play at your speed and then you're really good at changing speeds yourself, that's going to allow you to control your defender. So while he's not, you know, Luca might not be the quickest guy out there, but what he does do very well and better than most is change speeds. He can go from that slower speed to a really fast speed with a step back or with a drive better than a lot of guys can. And, uh, you know, he had some testing done that showed that his decelerating ability, his ability to slow down and change directions is off the charts high. So his ability to step back and, and, and decelerate or, or to explode off of the deceleration is higher than most guys, most other guys. So that's a, that's a big positive for him, even if his accelerating properties aren't as strong as the guys that he's playing against. I remember Steve Nash used to practice wrong foot shots because the defender is always expecting you to shoot, you know, uh, off your left foot, you're going to shoot with your right hand. Right. And then he would, he would practice being off the wrong foot. And now I think the NBA is so skilled and so well scouted that you have to operate now with a, a, a mode of unpredictability that everything you do can't be scripted because the defense is going to be too smart. They're scouting too hard. The coaches are too smart. The preparation is there. So Luca, he gets, it's unbelievable. How many times he gets guys in the air just off oh, their feet. And, and it's not just, even ball fake. Yeah. yeah. How does he do it? it? it it's not even ball fake. It, it, it's, it, you know, a lot of times he, he's using what we call an eye fake. He's just kind of, you know, raising his eyebrows and looking at the rim and it, and it draws defenders closer to him. And, and when you're looking to drive and when you're looking to get, in, and get inside and create, you actually want those perimeter defenders to get closer to you because it allows you to get around them. You know, you don't want them playing with that cushion because that cushion makes it really difficult to get by them. So he does a really good job of, of using head fakes and ball fakes to, to, to pull guys in tighter to make it easier for him to get around to either score or create for other guys. And he does just an outstanding job of creating for teammates. And, and he's doing a really good job of finding guys at the right time. He's hitting passes on time, on target. And you can see as a team, they have, they have progressed with him. And they, they are much better as a group. They, they added the pieces they needed to add. And they're a lot of fun to watch. Another guy that's just sensational this year is is Trey Young and also dealing with ankle issues. Uh, so the, the parallels are pretty yeah. 
clear Trey Young and his shooting ability and Steph like, uh, you know, I don't know, body type or just ailments. But I remember that uh, around this time last year, I, I visited you at your gym uh, here in Charlotte and uh, Trey Young, you were you're watching Trey Young and charting his shots because he's so special and has so much talent. He was shooting to give people an idea of what you're watching now compared to this time last year, he was shooting 24% from three through Christmas. We're talking like yeah. a, a huge chunk of the season. There were people who just didn't think that his game would translate, or at least he didn't have the same touch. Um, and you were pointing some things out to me that was fascinating. You watched the game on such a granular, granular level of where the feet are or where the ball is, the head is. And then, like, it makes me think that shooting slumps might not be shooting slumps. It might be that you have a hitch in your shot or that your your feet are in a different position. And you just kept saying to me, man, this guy is so close, so close to breaking out, and then it's going to be game over. I think it's game over now. The guy is not just confidence, but what is it about Trey Young from where he was a year ago to where he is now? What's the difference that you're seeing? he's so much more detailed and, and it took, you know, I think it took him going through those struggles to really start to value details and really start to value that, Hey, maybe I need to pay pretty close attention to, you know, my mechanics and I, and, and my mechanics is something that I have to, you know, I have to work on it every day. I mean, even with Stefan to this day, I'm still doing mechanic, you know, breakdown mechanic, you know, really refinement with him. Um, and I think that, you know, Trey, once he started seeing that that making these little adjustments started to result in success and and you don't see any of the very you know you still see some of them but you don't see a lot of the the wild variations the wild variations that we saw um you know last uh last year with his shot um it's because he's detailed and it's because he's become a pro about everything he's doing and his confidence is off the chart and, you know, when he's hitting shots out to 30-plus feet and you have to come out there and guard him, you're, you're really – there's not a whole lot you can do because he's either going to hit shots or, or start creating for other people. And, um, you know, he, he's a lot of fun to watch. He's explosive uh, with how he's playing. He's explosive as a scorer. Uh, he's also got some nice pieces around him, even though they're going to be missing John Collins for a while now. They've got some nice pieces, too. Um, but when you can carry over the way he ended last season and you carry that same confidence and you've added some things to your game, you got stronger and, and you're able to, to move that skill development forward. I think that's a really, really positive sign for him. And he's going to be a special player for a long, long time. So I'm going to put, you're going to have to put your Stephen a hat on right now. If you could choose, right. uh, you know what, I, this is going to already put you in a tough position, but if you could choose between like, Choose between Luca and Trey, the ceiling for either of those two players. I'm guessing it's Luca just because he's so much bigger that he can do so many different things on the court. One of those things where you couldn't go wrong either way. I know that's kind of the cop out answer, but it, <laughs> I think they 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 both you know they both have such a high ceiling, but they do it in different ways. And I think you know where they go uh, and 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 what their ceiling looks like it's probably going to be as much dependent on the pieces around them as it is going to be on themselves. I mean, I think you, you know, you can see that how, when the pieces around Stefan changed this year, he had to make adjustments, you know, and it, and it changed, 
the effectiveness of certain parts of this game because the pieces around them changed. I think as long as both organizations continue to put the right pieces that fit with those two players, you know, the pieces that fit with Luca are different than the pieces they're going to fit with Trey. But as long as they have the pieces that fit correctly for them and they continue to carry that confidence forward, they're both going to be all-stars for a long, long time, long time. And they're both going to be, I mean, all time, potentially all time great because they, they do so many things uh, that you just can't teach. And, and it kind of goes back to what you're talking about, how Steve Nash did so many things outside of the box at that time and how it's kind of shifted now. And those things are more the norm. You have to have some outside the box traits. You have to have some outside of the box skills to have success in the NBA because everybody is so great. Nobody is there by accident. And, and and how good they are and how good every player out there is, it, it cannot be – you really can't put it into words. They're all great, and you have to have something special and something different about the way you play, just like the way Trey plays and the way Luca plays and, quite honestly, the way Stefan has played for so long. It's different. It's different than everybody else, and that's what's going to allow you to allow them to have success moving forward and, and how well – because teams are going to start to adapt. You know, Stefan, the, the, the one thing that we saw as we've gone through this process is, man, teams get really good at adapting and they start taking certain things away from you. And then you have to be able to, to react to that. So hopefully Trey and Luca are aware that, you know, the success they're having early this season, you know, it could it could change within the season yeah. because of the way teams defend you. And, and hopefully they're going to continue to be students of the game and understand that they're going to have to continue to be creative and come up with different things. Um, you know, to, to go to to have answers for how they're being defended. Put me in the lab. I'm. I've got thirty yeah. clips of Trey Young taking three mm-hmm. pointers. How how should fans watch how Trey Young shoots or watch you know Steph and shoot? Like, what are some of the things that you look for when you're looking at a reel of a player's shooting? Well, you know, so we teach shooting from the ground up, and and I'm I'm a really big proponent of that. So so. You know, the body is, is a chain that works together and it works as a shooter from the ground up. So our mechanics at the ground have to be correct for the most part. Now, having said that, Trey and Stefan are very special shooters and they can get away with, some, <laughs> you know, some mechanical, you know, I, the first thing I get a lot of times, well, Stefan does this. And I, and, I, and I have to tell people when I'm dealing with young players. You guys got to stop watching it. You guys, you guys got to stop watching and saying Stefan does this because he's not normal. And Trey is not normal. The way they make shots is not normal. So, you know, for most people, we have to be pretty close to 10 toes to the rim or we just have to be consistent with our foot placement. Um, but really what we're looking for, you know, when I'm looking at it is I'm looking for the relationship right foot to left foot. Is your right foot, you know, really pronounced? A lot of times uh, right-handed shooters, especially if they're going right or if they're moving right, can over-rotate and extend that right foot a little bit too far out. And what it does, it pulls their hips around. And if your hips get pulled from right to left, your chest is going to get pulled from right to left, and it's going to pull the basketball to the left. Um, I look at the relationship of where you leave the ground to where you land. A lot of times, you know, one of the things Trey did a lot last year, early in the season, is is when he was shooting off the dribble, he was actually landing forward of where he jumped from, and that led to a lot of long misses. So we're really just looking too much, for too much momentum going forward. Yeah, there, there's some of that. And, you know, you also have to remember that if you shoot the ball from, you know, 25 feet, 
you release it at 24 feet and you land at 23 feet and you're shooting, it's like shooting at a moving target, right? So we want to get that target to be stabilized. And how we do that is we shoot going straight up and down as close to straight up and down as possible. Uh, so really you start looking at their feet and then you just work your way up the chain. If the feet, everything's good at the feet, you look at the knees of their little power line break, what we call a power line, which is the ankle, knee and hip. We want them to be straight. We don't want the knees to be going in or out uh, because the knees going in or out you're going to get into some balance issues. Um, so, you know, so looking at the ankles, knees, and we look at the hips, did the hips turn, did the hips stay square? Oh, then you man. work your way up from the hips to the shoulders. And then from the shoulders, you're looking at the relationship of the elbow to the eye level. And then is your hand in the basket or is it fanned out or is it cross, does it cross your nose? So there's a lot of things you're looking at and you don't want all these things to live in players' heads. That's why people like me have jobs because you don't want players to watch each shot like that because players can be over-analytical and this stuff can live in their heads. So you have to cherry-pick the important parts of what they're doing may be incorrect, and you have to kind of finesse it into, okay, I think if we can do this a little bit better, we're going to get a better result on this type of shot. And you show them why, and you teach them why. And, you know, sometimes there are movement you know, inefficiencies or there's lack of mobility that causes, you know, some shooting issues. So you can't always address shooting problems by shooting the basketball. Sometimes a shooting mechanics issue can be addressed in the weight room with proper movement, or it can be addressed through physical therapy with manual movement to really release a joint. So there's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of, there's a lot goes into that process. You get that everybody at home, you get that down. Now you're going to watch the game so different. Now you're going to, cause it seems like everything's of, just so natural, right? Like everything seems like, Oh, Trey just woke up one morning and was able to shoot like that. Yeah. I mean, we need, we need them to be natural, right? So we need them to be fluid and we need them to be comfortable and confident. And so as coaches, we can't have, you know, we can't beat things into their head to where they lose that comfort or they lose some confidence. So we have to make sure we're presenting the information in a way that is conducive to them improving and not in a way that's going to make them say, well, you know, nobody's ever told me I'm doing this wrong before. So you have to have a really well thought out, um, you know, almost, you know, biomechanic based reason why you're giving them this information and you've got to make sure you give it to them in a way that they're going to take it positively and take it positively moving forward with it. Where are we going with the distance with the shots? Like, is there a ceiling to this that Trey and Stefan and Dame and Luca, they're all taking logo threes now like it's nobody's business? You know, it's so funny. You know, I don't know. Um, my, uh, it's so funny you say that about the NBA guys. And then uh, my 11-year-old in a game last weekend pulled up from a distance where I'm sitting there saying, what are you doing? It's pretty close to 25 feet. And he hit it like it was nothing. So if, if, we're, if we're getting all the way down into 10 and 11 year olds shoot at that range, I don't know what it's going to look like when the, you know, when they're 24 and 25. So guys are certainly more and more comfortable getting, getting out past 30 feet. And then I watched some college games the past couple of nights, the kid from Kentucky the other night, he certainly had no problem shooting from about 30 feet and, and he was hitting. So, you know, as players continue to get more comfortable shooting from that range, you're going to see defenses have to get, you know, get pulled further and further out. So I think the improvement in that range is going to actually open the floor back up and, and allow guys that are drivers and allow guys to play back to the bat. You know, they can be post up guys to have more room to operate. So I think it's a good thing for the game overall, because you're going to start to see some of these skills that maybe we haven't seen the past few years, specifically with back to the basket players, 
you're going to see some of that start to come back if they can get true one-on-one opportunities in the post because guys can't help off. And I think it's going to be good for the game. Yeah, I just think it's a, it's a cheat code. If you can have a, a threat from 30 feet at the logo, it's a cheat code in today's NBA. Like we want her, like it was when I was coming up, you wanted to be able to jump out of the gym and you wanted to be fast. And I feel like the game is changing. Like it's great to be fast and it's great to be jumping out of the gym, but the skill level now is so important because you can't stay out on the floor. If you're an athlete in today's game, you can't. Very true. That's very true. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody's adapted and you're right. Speed and power and explosion. It's fun and it's great if you have it, but you have to be skilled. And I think that it's great that players that are not blessed with those gifts are finding ways to not only compete, but excel, you know, with, with athletic disadvantage. And, you know, as basketball training continues to evolve as, as, you know, just flat out, performance development and how the human body performs continues to evolve. I think you are going to see more and more things like this where the, the playing field physically is leveled off by skill. And for me, as a guy that was never physically gifted, that had to rely on what little skill I had to be effective in any way, it, it's fun to watch. So Steph's coming back this year, right? You know, I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, I know he wants to. It, it's all going to depend on how this rehab process plays out. You know, it's like I said, it, it's it's a three month to reevaluation, and and then at that point, you know, we'll have a better idea of a timeline and what he can and can't do. And you know, those first few weeks are going to be critical, and and just how the movement comes back and, and the wrist and and how that hand responds to to activity. So it's you know, it's so hard to say. You know, like I said, if it was an ankle or a knee, and it was something we were familiar with. I think you probably have definitive answers, but when you're dealing with the unknown and you're dealing with surgery and, and, and longer recovery times like this, I think it's, it's going to have to be a wait and see thing. I know that one of the first things he said to me when I talked to him after the procedure the other day is, yeah, I want to play the last, you know, I want to play some games this year. And, and, you know, you kind of have to slow them down a little bit and say, Hey, let's just see how it goes. And, um, and I think that's the way the Warriors are going to do it too. I think as an organization, they're being very, very, uh, intelligent and well thought out about how they're going about this season. And like I said, it might be, it might not be the most fun thing for their fans, but you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not like this year's the finish line. It's, it's a long, long uh, process when you're looking at doing things over a three, four, five year period. And, and I think everybody has to uh, address this situation with that same, that same thought process. I'm fully expecting Steph to come out of this rehab with like, a new shot where he doesn't even need a guide hand. <laughs> like he's just a one handed shooter possible. now. We'll see. Uh, he's going to want to be out there on the court and getting shots up so bad <laughs> that he's just going to learn how to shoot with one hand. Oh yeah. Keeping him away is going to be, and that's going to be the hardest thing is just keeping him away, you know, because it'd be hard for him to sit on the sideline right now because if somebody, you know, if a ball is going out of bounds and guys are running over there and they jump into the bench and he's there and he tries to catch them, you know, it's, that's a problem. So, you know, it's going to be hard for him to, to stay away and for him to stay in the back and, and watch games in the locker room. But, you know, that's that's going to be part of the, the grind of this rehab is to, to to stay away and be responsible. Well, hey, man, this was uh, this was great. And I think you're going to be in Steph's ear a lot more now over the next few months simply just to Absolutely. Keep, him, keep him focused and uh, eye on the prize. And I don't think people at home realize – what mentally a player goes through 
when you have a three month timetable like this, especially when it's a, a non lower leg extremity where it's just you you physically can walk around, run around and feel like you should be able to get out there, but you can't. Yeah. And it's it's also tough because with the other rehabs, you know, we had, you know, we had an urgent timeline, you know, a lot of those injuries, those little, little things tended to happen, you know, like in February and March. So we had to get back and have them ready for the playoffs. So, you know, having that urgent timeline kind of pushed us through the, the, the uncomfortable days. Now we don't have that same urgent timeline. So we're going to have to create some other kind of dates of interest. And, you know, we need to have this done by this date. So we, we've got to have something that rehab is all about competing. You know, you're competing to get better. You're competing with your body to improve. And, you know, so we've got to create those competitive situations through this rehab. And, you know, it's going to take some creativity and it's going to, it's going to take some time to learn it all, but I think we'll get through it just fine. Does that mean less sky miles for you or, or frequent flyer miles going out to no. the bay? <laughs> no, American Airlines is still probably going to love me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brandon, uh, thanks for coming on. And um, I know you're dealing with a little rehab with a hip or knee uh, issue going on. So yeah. I think you and Stefan have a lot to talk about over the next couple months. We do, except he's a performance guy. Mine are just old man problems. So, <laughs> but we'll, but we'll we'll find a way to get through it together. All right, man. Well, I appreciate the time, um, right. and best of luck on uh, everything for the rest of the season. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Tom. All right, that will do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. I hope you enjoyed the insights from Brandon Payne of Accelerate Basketball. He is one of those guys that every time you talk to him, you learn something new about the micro level of basketball. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. It would be a big help. All right. Until next time on The Haber Show.